Hello everyone, and welcome to Two Weirdos, One Podcast, where we talk about everything from true crime, to conspiracies, to aliens, to hauntings, and everything weird. My name is Ashley. And I'm Megan, and we're your two weirdos. Hello, guys, and welcome back to episode number 20 Hello. of Two Weirdos, One Podcast. This is our five-month episode, so we're doing the double story today. I'm going to bring you like a slightly shorter story, and then Ashley has got one prepped, and Frankie's really excited yes, about it. don't mind him. Um, my roommate and friend Allie is just coming home from work, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, mine's a bit of a long one, so we'll see. It might become a two-parter. Yeah, first time we would have done that. Yeah, so, um, but anyways, last time we talked to you, we had just finished a Pilates class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, so how are you feeling, Megan? I feel, like, back to normal now. Yeah. I Every time someone asked me how I was doing this week, I said, it feels like I got punched in the ribs a yes. lot. We did a lot of core work, and yeah, it felt like my sides were actually bruised from it. Yeah, <laughs> like I would just be driving and like try to check my blind spot, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you ready for our second class this week that we need to sign up for yet? I know. I guess we'll do Wednesday. Yeah, I think or... Wednesday will work. I yeah. don't know. I'm trying to think like what day works for me to be completely wrecked. <laughs> yeah it's hard yeah sometimes it's hard to know but I mean maybe it'll be not as bad as last time maybe it, it'll be a different class because I think they write a new one for yeah. each one so we'll see if I still die yeah I mean we, we probably will die but yeah <laughs> you know maybe a little less what degree yeah um and then last time last story Megan brought you the randonaut story we did not go Randonauting. Correct. What do you call it? Yeah, randonauting. Yep. Because it's been over a hundred degrees here. Yeah. So not the time to be going outside and. Yeah, I thought around. about texting you like last night and like seeing if you wanted to go, and then I was in bed and I was like, nah, it's still hot out. <laughs> yeah, I know. At like ten o'clock, it's still ninety degrees. So. Yeah, so it's super hot. And definitely not going in the dark. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wanted to go in the dark just because it would have been spookier, but I mean. Right. Probably not too spooky in like a bigger city, but Yeah. Um anyways, and then before you came over here, Megan, I told you to pick a color between silver, gold, rose gold, and black. Oh yeah, I almost forgot about that, yeah. honestly. <laughs> and you chose gold. So I bought these from Amazon and I they came in like a multi pack with different colors. Nice. It's your corona free keychain. Oh my gosh, I've seen these. <laughs> so I don't have to touch the door anymore. Yeah. Oh, the button. oh my gosh, it even has like a little stylus button thing on yes. it so that I can like tap the screen or yeah. whatever. I don't have to touch it. Okay, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, so you can, actually, like... I actually wanted one of these. Use it to press, like... Uh, so, it's guys, it's this, like, um, keychain, and it has, like, a finger hole. And then it. it has, like, a hook, so you can open up door handles with it. It has a bottle opener. I upgraded and got the ones with bottle <laughs> <laughs> on them. Yeah, because we don't need those 
Even after Rona. Yeah, and then it has a nice. stylus, so you can use, like, you know when you're at a store and you have to, like, sign for things and you have to touch, like, the pen thing that yeah, everyone uses? Yeah, I'd be uses. like, I don't want a receipt or whatever. Yeah, so you can nice. use that to sign or, like, tap the screen or, like, if you're at the gas station, you can use that to tap, like, the, like, when you have to type in oh, your, like, yeah. zip code and stuff. So this is you, awesome. Well, I guess you still have to touch, like, the gas pump handle, but, like... Li- we're limiting contact here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> So, anyways, I am using my boyfriend Jordan's computer right now because my computer, we called it Bertha. She's lasted me about 12 years. Yeah. I got her in 2011, I guess. No, that would be like not 12 years, what am I thinking? Um, 2008. That would have been 2008, yeah. Yeah. I got her in 2011, so that would have been like 10, almost 10 years, basically. Yeah. And uh, she was an old Mac and she had a actual CD-ROM slot. I like how you're talking about her in past tense, but she's sitting right here on the bed. I mean, she did die. <laughs> she literally yeah, just died. She is in the past now. <laughs> so I'm using Jordan's laptop, and um, it just, like, went to the sleep screen, and there's a password on it, and I don't know what it is. So perfect. I'm going to have to pause for a second and go get that password. <laughs> yeah. We'll BRB! Now. <laughs> Cue instrumental music. <laughs> and we're back, folks. <laughs> I also brought back a cookie. Yep, so definitely <laughs> needed break. <laughs> but I guess I can just hop into my story for yes. the week. I think we're at that point. Yeah, let's do it. So um, I... So whenever I was researching the story, I was like, why does this sound so familiar? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had tried to do it for an earlier episode, Mm. but it was, it wasn't long enough to fill a whole one and I happened to stumble upon it again. So I guess it's fate that I do it. Yeah. Um, So there's going to be a lot of mispronunciations because it's happened in Russia, which is awesome. Oh, okay. (laughs) So... Please forgive me, everybody. Uh, But the story I'm going to talk about is the Dyatlov Pass incident. Mm, I love this one. It's a weird one. I know. It's there's so it's it's so weird. So this incident occurred in January of 1959, and it is named after 23 year old Igor Dyatlov, who was the leader of a group of eight young Soviet university students Mm -hmm. on a trek into the Ural Mountains. Okay. So they were attempting to reach Mount Ortorten? Ortorten? Sounds right. (laughs) From the settlement of Vizai, but they never reached their destination. Okay. So whenever people realized they were missing, they started to look along their route and try to find the bodies and it took them almost three months to find all nine of their bodies so i think it was they didn't find them all until may of that year okay and so the bodies were found just about six miles from their destination and they were in a forest about a mile away from their campsite so they set up camp and i guess yeah, all their bodies ended up in this forest a mile away. Yeah. But all of the bodies had no skis, no shoes, no coats, none of their winter, like, hiking gear, and they were 
out in negative 30 degree yeah. weather. So that was the first really weird thing that they noticed. Yeah. Investigators don't know exactly what happened to the hikers, but the listed cause of death is, quote, a compelling natural force. So they're, they're admitting defeat on this one. Yeah. But the facts that we do know is that six of the hikers died of hypothermia and the other three died of injuries that they sustained. Mm-hmm. Two of them were found under a cedar tree next to the remains of a fire. So first two that died of hypothermia, maybe they're trying to warm themselves up. Yeah. Um, Then three others were found in intervals of hundreds of feet from the tree. So a few hundred feet away, Mm -hmm. body, so on, so on. Three more bodies. Um, So those three also died of hypothermia. Mm -hmm. Then four more, the last four, were found in a ravine another 250 feet away. And these were the four bodies that weren't found until May 4th of that year. Okay. Almost three months after the incident. Right. So the two that were found under the tree, they both had burned hands. So maybe the fire that they built, like, they put their hands in trying to get warm. Yeah. Um, but they had burned hands. And when investigators looked at the scene, they only identified eight or nine sets of footprints in the snow. So they kind of ruled out foul play by another party. Mm -hmm. Um, They also noticed that there was no sign of a struggle around the campsite. So no one forced them to leave their tents without their gear. Right. And the last thing that they know is that the... Um, incident occurred on the night of February 2nd, a snowstorm hit and that's when everything happened. Yeah. Uh, cause the hikers kept diaries along the way. So they kept track of what they did each day. Right. And February 2nd was the last entry. Okay. So all of the people that were in this group were pretty experienced mountaineers. They had gone on like little treacherous hikes through the mountains before. Yeah. And despite the rough weather and the snowstorm and slow-moving progress, uh, based on their diaries, their spirits were pretty high, and they were, like, joking around. They even, like, made a little newspaper, quote-unquote newspaper, (laughs) that they wrote it. They wrote about their day in in their diaries. So they they were doing pretty well. Okay. Whenever investigators first started looking into their deaths... It seemed pretty straightforward. Like, you know, they didn't have their ski clothes on. They died of hypothermia. Right. Um, you know, uh, I was reading about hypothermia, and one of the, I guess, things that can happen, they said about 25% of the time is undressing. Yeah, so as the hypothalamus malfunctions when hypothermia mm-hmm. starts to set in, the body thinks that the temperature is rising right. when it's really dropping, so that would cause people to yeah. undress. So they think they're feeling, like, really hot, so they Yeah, so they off. take everything off. Yeah, so they were saying, like, one guy was, like, stripped down to his underwear, and some mm-hmm. people, like, had their shirts off, so it wasn't, like, too far out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Um, but then they started looking back at the campsite and looking at the tent of mm-hmm. uh, a couple of the people, and they noticed that it was torn open, it was badly damaged, but they determined that it had been cut open from the inside, Oh, weird. and 
all of their belongings were still inside. Yeah. So it looked like they had, like, cut out of their tent and left in a hurry, mm-hmm. but it was of their own will because there was no struggle anywhere else. Like, all their, yeah. everything was still set where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, even one of the hikers, uh, Semyon Zolotaryov, he fled the camp with and grabbed his camera, but not his cold weather gear. That's strange. So he had enough, I guess, like, mm-hmm. he was able to mentally process, okay, I need to grab my camera, but didn't think to dress right. for the cold. So th- that was really weird, especially the tent being cut from the inside. Mm-hmm. So then another weird thing, so the the last four bodies to be found in the ravine, whenever they were discovered and examined, they noticed that two of those people had fractured ribs and the third had a major skull fracture. And the weird thing about um, the skull fracture is that the person looking at her determined that the kind of damage that she sustained to her skull could only be accomplished or it could be comparable to someone in a car crash. Yeah. So meaning that no human could have inflicted that kind of damage on her. And then also he noticed that there was no soft tissue damage observed on her head. So no like, like blow to the head that broke skin. So it almost looked like the bones had been broken by pressure. Okay. Like pressure down on instead of like a blunt force. Okay. Which I don't, I can't think of many things in a mountain where you would be under that kind of pressure, right. especially ending up in a ravine like that. Yeah, and, like, even if you fell down into a ravine mm-hmm. or something, there would still be that blunt force. Like, you would still be hitting your head. There would have been, like, a gash, signs. something. Right. And, yeah, I don't know. That's And even, like, I guess, like, an avalanche could maybe cause that kind of pressure, but they weren't found in an avalanche, Yeah, you know? they were just found in a forest right. in a ravine. Um, So that same body that had the fractured skull, they said, was also missing their tongue. Ew. Which was... That's strange. Super weird, and it made them think that someone or something Mm -hmm. else was involved, but there was no physical evidence to support that. Like, they they couldn't find any other tracks from other people. They only found the tracks from the eight or nine people that were on the expedition. So, like, a flying yeti? Yeah. <laughs> or aliens. Aliens. <laughs> um, and then one of the most baffling discoveries was that there was a significant amount of radiation on their clothing as well. Definitely aliens. Right. <laughs> 100%. So that, no one could really explain that, but it was just something that they noticed. Right. Um, so the case was quickly shut down by the Soviet government in May of 1959, less than a month after the last four bodies were found. Suspicious. Very. (laughs) And the files were quickly archived and classified, so no one could access them. And when they were finally revealed in the post-Soviet era, parts of them were missing. So, not even a complete file. Don't be suspicious. (laughs) So, we don't really have any real answers about what happened on the night of Mm -hmm. February 2nd, uh, but there's been a couple theories. Um, Another campsite about 50 miles from 
their campsite mm-hmm. said on that night they noticed some orange spheres in the sky. But people just dismissed that saying that it was missiles since the campsite was close to a Soviet nuclear testing ground. Oh, okay. So could that, like, have to do with the radiation then mm-hmm. that was yeah. found? They're thinking um, that a possible cause of the radiation is maybe they drank melted snow mm, that was contaminated okay. by some of that nuclear Got waste. Um, there was a kid that went to their funerals and made a comment about how they had a very dark tan. Mm. And I guess that's a possible sign of radiation exposure. Oh, okay. So um, that's another possibility. Uh, it would be hard to imagine, like, they picked out the exact snow that been contaminated. Yeah. But, um, you know, it is possible. But... Then there's also everyone that says <laughs> aliens are definitely involved. I mean, obviously the most logical explanation here. <laughs> yes, like how do you explain the tongue missing and the bodies everywhere and no one having their cold weather gear on when right. it's negative 30 outside. Especially since he said only like, what was it, like 25% of people when they go through hypothermia, mm-hmm. they like feel hotter so they take off their clothes. Yeah. But like... That's 25%. Statistically, they wouldn't all have the same effect. Yeah. Being in a group. Yeah, so... And also, sorry, I have another question. Yeah. So, they literally sliced open their tent from the inside, right? Yeah. Why would they not (laughs) go through the, like, zipper? I don't know. Or, like, (laughs) Velcro or zipper, whatever their tent was. Or, like, even if there was some sort of closing. Mm -hmm. Why would they cut it open rather than just like exit the the, the normal, normal way, way. Out. yeah i don't know maybe it it, it was, was zipped up and it was like possibly stuck and yeah. they couldn't get it fast enough it and maybe like something was causing them it. to panic yeah. so they were thinking like i need to get out of here right now and so they just sliced it open hmm. were they all sharing like one tent or were there like multiple tents that they kind of had and so they all it didn't say. Okay. I would I would assume a group of that size, there'd be a few. Right. That's kind of strange that then they would, even being in separate tents, they would have all, like, exited left. Yeah, and there left. must have been something that caught their attention outside and yeah. caused them to go like, somewhere else. Maybe they saw something or heard something. Yeah, and, and that's why he grabbed his camera and... <coughs> aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Orange spheres, not a coincidence. <laughs> Wow. That's, I really like that case just because there's so many, like, you can definitely get into a deep Reddit hole of... (laughs) Oh my gosh, so many theories. (laughs) Of theories, so, yeah. Yeah. So that is the Dyatlov Pass incident. And, yeah. I like it. It's a creepy story. It's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Alright, guys, well... I have a... Buckle your seatbelts, <laughs> grab your popcorn. Because I got a long one. Here we go. We'll, we'll see if we cut it in a... Damn it. It's just... Again, guys, I'm using Jordan's computer, and I know his password now, but it keeps, like, going to sleep, and I'm, I don't know how to change that right now. Um, anyways, so I am covering the story of Sylvia Likens. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. Okay. It is a gruesome, awful, horrid crime of a 
there's a lot of torture and abuse, guys, so just a trigger warning yeah. for you all. Um, I feel like I always bring you the, like, <laughs> <laughs> the worst ones, but I definitely, um, yeah, this is a very interesting one, um, just because it's kind of got, like, a, there's just, like, a mob mentality to it. Okay. And it will kind like of... psychology. That yeah. Sociology with the mob mentality. Like, I don't get into the psychology of it or anything, but I, I don't know. I'll explain yeah. it when I get to that point in yeah. the story. It still is interesting how being in a group can influence your decisions and right. thoughts so much, which I assume we'll see here. Yes. So, before we get into who Sylvia Likens was, um, I do need to cover um, a horrid woman named Gertrude. Banaszewski. I don't know if I said her last name correctly. I don't really care because her name's Gertrude and she's gross. <laughs> uh, sorry if your name's Gertrude. I'm sure you're a great, lovely person, but this Gertrude is terrible. So I associate the name with her. Um, so anyways, Gertrude was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, to her mother, Molly Myrtle, and Hugh Marcus Van Fossen Sr. Both were from Illinois. Uh, Gertrude was the third of six kids, and on October 5th of 1939, Gertrude saw her father die from a heart attack at age 50. So six years after her father died, she was 16 years old, and she dropped out of, out of high school to marry a guy named John Stephan Bianzowski. I don't know, whatever the fuck her last name yeah. is. Um, <laughs> so, and he was 18 years old. Now, Gertrude and John, they had four kids together, but John had quite a temper and would sometimes beat Gertrude, um, but they did stay together for 10 years um, before they ended up getting a divorce. So, <laughs> this is where it gets a little... You gotta pay attention to her life here. So after Man, her, since she's twenty and divorced. Yeah. So uh, after her divorce with John, Gertrude married a guy named Edward Guthrie, um, but it lasted a mere three months before they got mm. divorced. So uh, Gertrude and Edward pulled a Kim K. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the original. <laughs> the OG. Um, just with how quick she divorced, not in anything else. Right. Kim K, I like you. <laughs> um, so soon after her second divorce, Gertrude got back together with her first husband, John, and they, the abusive uh, husband she had four kids with, mm-hmm. and they ended up getting remarried, and then they had two more children. Oh my gosh. And in 1963, they divorced for a second time. So now- Girlfriend. <laughs> She's gone through three divorces and she's like, what, mid-twenties? Man, I can't even get a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) The struggle. Yeah, but like, she's with her abusive husband, so. Or she's remarried her abusive husband. I'm not at that point yet. (laughs) Yeah, not worth it. (laughs) Don't don't be Gertrude. (laughs) So a few weeks after her second time divorcing John, Gertrude got with a man named Dennis Lee Wright, who was also physically abusive, and they procreated. Shocking. Sure, sure, sure can. Pick him. <laughs> so uh, she gave birth to their son, which she named after the abusive father. So now she has a kid named Dennis Lee Wright Jr. 
No surprise here when adult Dennis abandoned Gertrude and baby Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) Baby Dennis. (laughs) Well, they got the same name. (laughs) They left her to file for a paternity suit for financial support, which he could rarely pay because he is also scum of the earth. So. Now it's 1965, and Gertrude is a single mother to seven children. What? She couldn't even get one of those dudes to stick around? (laughs) Nah. (laughs) I guess you wouldn't want to anyways. They kind of suck. Yeah, I mean, Gertrude's scum. She's got devil spawn, so. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Paula, at this point, is 17. Stephanie is 15. John is 12. Marie is 11. Shirley is 10, James is 8, and baby Dennis is 1. So at this time, Gertrude is 36 years old. She is 5'6 and only weighs 100 pounds. And people described her as haggard, underweight, and asthmatic. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Imagine if someone just described, like, your description was asthmatic. Gosh. I'm about 5'6, just imagining myself at 100 pounds. (laughs) Good lord. So she was a chain smoker. Um, oh. So it was just probably why, I mean, well, she did have asthma. But, I mean, <laughs> being a chain smoker doesn't help right. you being described as asthmatic. Um, and she suffers from depression from her terrible relationships and failed mar- marriages. And she Right. And she had also, also recently had, like, a miscarriage. So... Uh, Hormones I mean, coming into play. Could have had to do with the chain smoking, only being 100 pounds, being 36. Poor life choices. Yeah. Um, and the stress. So, financially, she gets checks here and there from her first husband. And she would also do odd jobs for neighbors and people she met doing things like sewing or cleaning to make like her ends meet. And um, she was also living in Indianapolis and her rent is $55 a month. So, I mean, that's quite a deal. But also, right. I don't know the size with seven children. <laughs> Man, nothing is big enough with seven children. <laughs> right. So, now I'm going to introduce you who Sylvia Likens was. Um, she was born January 3rd, 1949, and she was the third of five children to Lester Cecil Likens and Elizabeth Francis. <laughs> In my notes, I'm just reading. I wrote Elizabeth. Elizabether. Elizabeth, not Elizabeth. Um, both were carnival workers, and Sylvia was the middle child to two sets of fraternal twins, which was just a fun fact. So there's, wait for the names, Diana and Daniel, who are the two older um, siblings to her. So Sylvia's a middle, middle child, so she's got Diana and Daniel, who are older than her, and then Jenny and Benny, who were one year, oh, no. who were one year younger than her. Oh, I didn't mention Diana and Daniel were two years older than her. So, why do twin parents always do that? Like, I, I knew a pair of twins, Jacqueline and Julian. Oh God. And the, Jack and Jill. Like, yeah. Just name them different, guys. Come on. Yeah, like make it a little bit easier on us when we're trying to tell them apart. <laughs> So Diana, Daniel, Jenny, and Benny, um, they're all pretty close in age, um, being only a few years apart. And um, Lester and Betty, so Elizabeth also went by Betty. Um, Lester and Betty were, um, as we mentioned clearly, creative with the names for the twins. Yes. Um, (laughs) So Sylvia's childhood didn't seem super great, but like her parents weren't, I guess, the worst or anything. Um, Her parents just kind of had an unstable marriage. but, like, 
they also weren't, they had financial difficulties, so I don't know, mm. that probably had to do with the instability of the marriage. Um, and throughout, like, the summers, they would sell candy, beer, and soda at the carnival stands around Indiana, and they would um, also move frequently, so they just kind of, like, move around, follow the carnivals and stuff. Right. Um, as, as I mentioned, they did have financial difficulties. Um, the sons, Daniel and Benny, would often travel with their parents to help out at carnivals, but because of safety and, like, education reasons, like, the kid, like, the girls had to be in school yeah, and stuff, um, Sylvia and Jenny often stayed with relatives. Most of the time it was their grandma, um, so the girls could stay in school and not fall behind. So... As a teen, Sylvia would babysit, run errands, and do some chores for neighbors and friends, and just to make some extra money mm-hmm. when she could, and she would even share some of her earnings with her mother, because again, they were just like, just need a little extra help. Yeah. And Sylvia was described as friendly and confident, and her friends would call her Cookie. I don't know why, <laughs> that just did... And, um, just makes me want some more cookie. Right. <laughs> and she also really liked the Beatles and was um, very protective of her younger sister, whose personality was quite the opposite of Sylvia. So Sylvia being, like, outgoing and confident, friendly. So, um, her sister Jenny was just, like, a little more, more reserved and quiet and not as confident. Um, Jenny did have polio, so that kind of played into her just being a little more quieter she had like one leg that was weaker and like her foot and stuff she had so she had one like strong leg Mm -hmm. um so in june of 1965 both sylvia and jenny lived with their parents but on july 3rd their mother elizabeth was arrested and put in jail for shoplifting and soon after this happened their dad lester um arranged for sylvia and jenny to live with good old gertrude she Hello, comes back. Gertrude. She comes back into the story, and Jenny and Sylvia went to school with uh, Gertrude's daughters Paula and Stephanie. So that's how like they knew each other. Yeah. And of course, Gertrude assured to Lester that she would care for Sylvia and Jenny as if they were her own children. Lies. So not well, <laughs> <laughs> right? So soon after the Fourth of July, Sylvia and Jenny moved into Gertrude's home at 3850 East New York Street in Indiana. So that Lester and Elizabeth, after Elizabeth got out of jail, could could travel to the East Coast and work for a carnival out there. Um, Lester was going to be sending Gertrude $20 per week to take care of Sylvia and Jenny until um, their parents were supposed to return in November. So basically they would be staying with Gertrude for like four to five months. Mm Mm-hmm. And then every week, Gertrude would get $20. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he wouldn't pay monthly. I mean, I guess they didn't really have the money to pay monthly. It was probably like a week-by-week thing. Yeah. Um, so the first few weeks the girls were staying with Gertrude were fine. Um, there wasn't much discipline, and they would spend their time like with the other kids. And um, they the girls would help out with the chores and do housework, and they would regularly attend Sunday school with the other kids. So just... Pretty typical. Like, yeah. Childhood, sounds like. Right. Seemed pretty normal. Um, eventually the $20 payments that Lester was supposed to be sending to Gertrude on, like, and, like, they had a scheduled day where the payments were supposed to get there. I don't know why, but, um, they started coming, like, a day or two late, which was, like, not agreed, the agreed-upon day they were supposed to get there. Right. But this frustrated Gertrude, 
and she didn't hide her frustration from Sylvia and Jenny and would vent to them about how their dad's payments were coming in late. So just really shitty thing to do. Yeah, it's not their fault. Exactly. And I'm sure he's trying his best, but, yeah. you know, he still has to live himself. Right. Um, so she would... So they would come in late, and she would also... She would beat them on their bare butts with a paddle, saying things such as, quote, well, I took care of you two little bitches for this week for nothing, end quote. Oh. Um, one time, Sylvia and Jenny were both beaten about 15 times on their backs with the paddle after Paula, one of Gertrude's kids, accused Sylvia and Jenny of eating too much food at a church dinner all the kids went to. So there was like a dinner what? that was at their church and... They ate a lot, and Paula was a little fucking snitch and was like, they ate a lot, and Gertrude was like, not today, and beat them. It's not your food. Let them eat. Right. So I don't know. That was just just the abuse for little things. You'll notice was a very, oh, don't mind Frankie. (laughs) The abuse uh, for basically nothing, no reason. I mean, abuse isn't, there's no reason for abuse ever, but... There's yeah, nothing there's for her nothing to, to trigger get. Yeah. her anger toward them. Exactly. Um, so about a month and a half into living with Gertrude, um, Gertrude began to focus all the abuse towards Sylvia. Um, her m- motivation to do so was most likely because she was jealous of Sylvia. Uh, Sylvia was just like a really pretty girl. And she had, like, a lot of potential in her life. Like, she's going to go somewhere. She's going to do something. She's going to do great things with her life. Um, Probably reminded her of all of her potential when she was 16, Mm -hmm. but then decided to marry an abusive Exactly. She didn't really... I mean, she ended her childhood at 16 by marrying someone having a bunch of kids. (laughs) So, um, So, initially, the abuse included things such as beatings and food restriction, So Sylvia would eventually eat things like leftovers or rotten food out of the garbage. Food restriction should never be a form of punishment. Right. awful. Yeah. Um, Humiliation was also something that Gertrude would do to abuse Sylvia. Um, Mm. One time in late August, Sylvia claimed to to have a boyfriend who she had met in the spring before she lived with, like, a few months before when it was springtime, um, before she lived with Gertrude and her fam- her and her family lived in California. Um, Gertrude asked if she had ever, quote, done anything with a boy, end quote. And Sylvia didn't really understand. I mean, she was a young girl. She didn't really understand the question. And she said, I guess so. And then went on to say, that, like, she's like, oh, I had gone skating with the boys and went to the park and the beach oh. with these boys. And Jenny thinking it was just like, like her thinking the question have you ever like gone out and done something with a boy like yeah going somewhere physically like to a park or a beach or whatever Jenny, or, and um so we was like yeah i guess i guess this is where i went with this boy or whatever and um so now at this point sylvia is just chatting with stephanie and jenny um so like gertrude's not really like talking with them and mm-hmm. they're just being young girls and um sylvia she was said that she had once laid under the covers with her boyfriend and gertrude heard her say that basically like overheard her and gertrude said why did you do that sylvia and she was like i don't know and kind of like shrugged it off um so just gertrude has like a weird weird 
I don't know if I want to say obsession, but weird, like, she definitely puts Sylvia in an uncomfortable position, thinking that she's, like, promiscuous and, like, kind of shames mm-hmm. Sylvia for just being a young yeah. young woman, young girl, basically. Right. So, um, this is days later now. Gertrude said, you're certainly getting big in the stomach, Sylvia. It looks like you're going to have a baby. <laughs> Which is something, <laughs> first of you don't say to a 16-year-old girl. Like, right. that's just mean. And Sylvia assumed she was joking, and jokingly, like, she said, yeah, it sure is getting big, I'm just gonna have to go on a diet. But Gertrude was not kidding, oh. and she told her and the other girls, like, her other daughters, that whenever they did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby then proceeded to kick Sylvia in her genitals. Oh. So, that just starts off. That escalated. Yeah. So, now Paula, who is the oldest of Gertrude's demon spawn, is actually, who, Paula is actually three months pregnant, overweight, and just not cute, and (laughs) is jealous of Sylvia, and joins her mother in abusing Sylvia. So... Paula had once pushed Sylvia out of her chair and onto the floor and said, you ain't fit to sit in a chair. And another time during a family dinner, Gertrude, Paula, and a neighbor boy named Randy forced, fucking Randy, force-fed Sylvia a hot dog overloaded with condiments, which just makes me want to gag thinking about Uh. it. Like, think of like a hot dog and it was filled with mustard, ketchup, and spices, just like... Yeah, so just like probably just got all over her face. on. So obviously that's super gross because no one likes an excess of condiments like that. Um, so she, Sylvia actually threw up because that's disgusting. And apparently she was later on forced to eat what she threw up, basically. Wow. Um, so Sylvia ended up spreading... So like Sylvia's mad at this point obviously yeah so she's still in high school um sylvia ended up spreading a rumor at her high school that stephanie and paula were prostitutes um (laughs) (laughs) but unfortunately the girls found out that it was sylvia who started the rumor because i know because a boy jokingly like propositioned stephanie because she said they were prostitutes oh and he told her that sylvia had started the rumor so this fucking boy. Damn boys. And then when they got home from school that day, Stephanie questioned Sylvia about it and she admitted to it. So Stephanie punched her. Um, Sylvia apologized, but Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, Coy. So remember Coy, because Coy comes back in the story. Um, so her boyfriend, Coy, who's 15, heard about the rumor, and then attacked Sylvia by slapping her and banging her head against the wall and throwing her on the floor. What the fuck? So, of course, Gertrude found out about Sylvia starting this rumor, and Sylvia was subjected to another round of abuse um, about this rumor by being beaten by a paddle by Gertrude. Wow. Just, like, back to back to back. Like, she's just being overly punished for... Yeah, starting and it's not like they didn't, you know... Deserve it? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but they also, like, asked for it by bullying and abusing her. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
as just another random no reason moment of abuse. Um, Paula beat Sylvia so badly on her face, primarily her teeth and her eyes, that Paula broke her own wrist while beating Sylvia, and Paula would then use her cast to beat Sylvia. So oh just like she was beating Sylvia so hard in the face that she legit broke her own wrist. Like, I can't even imagine how hard you have to be beating someone to break your own bones. Right. A, a wrist. So, um,. Gertrude would accuse Sylvia of promiscuity and prostitution. Literally, again, for no reason. Yeah. And then would rant to Sylvia about how prostitution and women in general were filthy. So she just, like, Uh, she just, like, had a thing against women and... Yeah. Just... And I guess just something about Sylvia just... I feel like it stems from probably... a lot of jealousy yeah and because of that and then her daughters seeing like seeing her set that example Mm -hmm. them thinking it's okay and then the it's just piling on on top of her exactly so you kind of start to see that mom mentality with like then paula and stephanie like abusing her and then the the boy coy and randy and stuff so they're just kind of like people outside of this family that's starting to come in and abuse sylvia as well So, um, Gertrude would also force Jenny to hit her own sister, and if she didn't, she would be beaten. So, poor Jenny, like, just, she didn't have a choice, really, if she didn't hit her. Yeah, that's an impossible situation. Right. So, back to Koi, Stephanie's boyfriend, and Koi's friends would come over to the house and physically and verbally abuse Sylvia, and often the other kids, and, like, Gertrude's kids, and Gertrude would join these kids in verbally and physically abusing Sylvia. So, like, wow. these random kids would just come over to the house and abuse Sylvia. Um, Gertrude would also basically encourage the kids and these boys to routinely beat Sylvia and would use Sylvia as a practice dummy in violent judo sessions. Um, they would lacerate her body, burn her with cigarettes over a hundred times, and severely injure her genitals. Um, Sylvia was forced to strip naked in the living room and insert a Coca-Cola bottle into herself in front of Gertrude and the kids and the friends, all to, quote, prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are, end quote, is what Gertrude had said. My gosh. Like, that was her reasoning. That's Um, so awful. So super fucked up that a grown woman is making an underage or any one person do this to themselves in front of underage children and your own children. Right. So, um, eventually Sylvia wasn't allowed to even attend school anymore after she had stolen gym clothes because Gertrude refused to buy her clothes that she needed. Um, Gertrude also whipped Sylvia with a three-inch wide belt because of this. And then Gertrude started talking about the, quote, evils of premarital sex and then repeatedly kicked Sylvia in the genitals. So again, she keeps coming back to this, like, sexual abuse, basically. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really know like why. Like, punishing her for things that she's not. that she hasn't even done. Right. And even if she had done, you know. You don't abuse someone over it. Yeah. 
Um, so Stephanie, Stephanie actually chimed in at this point and yelling she didn't do anything, but I mean, that didn't stop it, her. Yeah, true. it doesn't matter to her at right. this point. Um, so Sylvia burned, Sil- or Sylvia, Gertrude burned Sylvia's fingertips with matches and then continued on whipping her, um, during this. Um, a few days after this, Jenny actually ended up getting repeatedly whipped by the same belt for stealing a single shoe from school to wear on her strong foot, um, because of the polio. Yeah. She only had, like, one strong foot that she really used, so she clearly needed a shoe. Yeah. Like, Gertrude was not provide. like, Gertrude was getting like, money. Like, how can you punish a kid for, like, taking clothing that they need, that they aren't getting from home? Like, I feel like schools nowadays, whenever kids don't have food to eat, like, yeah. you're not going to kick a kid out of school because they stole food because they can't eat at home. Like, it's the same thing here. Exactly. Why would you just kick them out and put them back into that shitty situation at right. home that they're in like school should be there to help them mm-hmm. but anyways so sylvia sad. yeah it's very sad um this story is just god awful um but sylvia and jenny were so fearful of the abuse and for their lives that they didn't want to tell anyone in their family or any adult at school about what was what like they were going through they were scared of things getting worse than they already were so they were just yeah, like because where do you go like if you know, you tell the school, and they talk to Gertrude, and she's like, oh, yeah, they're lying. Exactly. And they believe Gertrude, and then the abuse gets worse mm-hmm. because they tried to speak up about it. Yep. So and they're in, they're just in a situation you just can't right, they're, get out of. Again, in an impossible situation, and they just, it's, especially for, I mean, they're young. young. Girls, they yeah. don't know, they, they don't have any options, they they are where they are because their parents put them there. Yeah. And they... Trying to do the best for their lives so that they could go to school and have an education. Exactly. But, yeah, just a bad situation. And um, so Gertrude had even threatened Jenny that if she told anyone that um, she would be subjected to the same abuse and torture that Sylvia was getting if she did, like, tell some about someone about what yeah, was going on at the that's home. enough to scare mm-hmm. a little girl into not speaking exactly so girls in the neighborhood would bully jenny too and she would sometimes be ridiculed or beaten whenever she mentioned the situation sylvia was going through so basically what i'm getting here is all kids are assholes in this neighborhood apparently like, yeah. it's such a strange thing because there's so many kids in this story that are not in the family, that are just, like, outside neighborhood kids that are coming in and just bullying and beating and being a part of this torture and abuse. It's yeah. so insane. I think I think a big influence in it is the fact that Gertrude right. contributes the, to it. The adult. Yeah. And the kids seeing that, they're like, oh, this must be okay. And because she's telling me it's okay, I'm going to go do it because that's what everyone else is doing. Exactly. But, like, thinking back at when you were 16, 15, Mm -hmm. early teens or whatever. Yeah. You knew from right from wrong. Like, you knew something like that would be totally wrong. And the fact that all these kids are just being abusive, like, I just don't, like, what were their home situations like that their parents obviously... We're not like, this is wrong. Like, be a good person. Like, yeah, that's so strange. 
it's sad that they like contribute to it but Mm -hmm. also as a kid how do you speak up against an adult exactly so I mean, I hope there, that there would be some kids there that knew it was wrong, yeah. but they just didn't know how to speak up about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's there's like definitely two very arguable sides about yeah. these kids. Um, so during July and August, Lester and Elizabeth would actually like return home when they could to visit Sylvia and Jenny. And the last time they visited them at the end of August, neither of the girls showed any signs of distress to their parents. Which was most likely because Gertrude and her kids were around during the visit. So they were, like, at the house with Gertrude and all these kids. So they can't be like, hey, mom and dad, we're being seriously abused. Yeah, I guess they probably also, like, avoided, like, punching punching her in the face or something, knowing the parents are going to come. Exactly. It's also sad that someone would plan ahead like that so that they could plan to continue abusing somebody Mm -hmm. like that situation just yeah so um right after elizabeth and lester left the house gertrude turned to sylvia and said quote what are you going to do now sylvia now they're gone end quote so she just she knew she hasn't done anything i know (sighs) gertrude worst part gertrude knew what she was doing like She's taunting her. Yeah. She's like, I know that you know that you can't get out of the situation, Mm -hmm. and I think it's funny. Right. So, now we are in September, and so just, like, July, literally two months after, like, they moved into this home, to this home. Wow, that's all happened in Mm -hmm. two months? That's, okay, I I didn't really realize that that was the timeline. Yes. That's insane. Yeah. How quickly that escalated. They're only going to be here for, like, four or five months max, like, literally from July to October, which is, so just keep thinking of that timeline because shit gets insane. That must have been, gosh, with how much you've told me already, I feel like that must have been, like, a daily occurrence in that house. Mm -hmm. That's... Wow. So now, in September, and Sylvia and Jenny run into their older sister, Diana, at a park. So they both told Diana about the abuse that they were enduring, and Sylvia was the main focus for the abuse. So initially, Diana thought their sisters were exaggerating their abuse claims. Um, And then actually weeks before this, like before they ran into Diana at the park, um, Sylvia and Jenny ran into, into Diana, their sister, at the same park, um, but there with Gertrude's 11-year-old daughter, Marie, and Sylvia had mentioned to her sister that she was hungry, and, like, she gave her, gave Sylvia a sandwich to eat, and then, for some fucking reason, Marie decided to tell this to her family later on in September that, mm-hmm. like... That she ate a sandwich? That she ate a sandwich, Yeah. And Gertrude accused Sylvia of engaging in gluttony for, again, eating a fucking sandwich. For trying to live. Right. So, naturally, her and Paula choke and bludgeoned her. Then they put her into a scalding hot bath to, quote, cleanse her of sin, and then would grab her hair and bang her head against the bath when Sylvia had fainted. So, all because she ate a fucking sandwich. Wow. So, thank goodness not everyone in their neighborhood is a complete asshat, because soon after the bath incident, the father of a neighborhood boy named Michael called their high school and anonymously 
like reported that a girl with open sores over her entire body was living at the Banizewski household. So at this point, Sylvia had not been at school for several days um, because Gertrude didn't allow her to go anymore um, because she stole some gym clothes. Yeah. And so a school nurse visited the house to investigate this because of the claim and then her not being at school. Yeah. Um, Gertrude told the nurse that Sylvia ran away from the home the week prior and didn't even know where Sylvia was saying that she was out of control and the sores were a result of Sylvia refusing to maintain personal hygiene. Um, she also told the nurse that Sylvia was a bad influence on her children and her sister Jenny. And that was that. The school was, for some reason, fucking pleased with those answers. No wow. more investigation into it. That was it. So, the next door neighbors to the... Banizewski family were a middle-aged ass-clown couple named Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion. Phyllis. <laughs> Raymond and Phyllis. So they initially thought that Gertrude was an ideal caregiver for the Lycan sisters and has visited the home on two different occasions. Both times the Vermillions actually saw Paula physically abusing Sylvia and both times saw that she had a black eye and even openly boasted about her mistreatment of Sylvia to them. So, the second time these douche canoes visited the house, they saw that Sylvia looked extremely meek and somewhat zombified, but to no surprise by all the name-calling of this couple, <laughs> the Ascons and douche canoes, um, they never reported the abuse to authorities. So you just saw wow. this and you're like, you know what, that's, that's fine, that's normal. Yeah, and how can you witness that and then just go about your day? Exactly. So, now, at this point, it's October. So, just one month after. Oh, my gosh. And Diana, Sylvia and Jenny's older sister, found out where exactly the girls were living because she didn't know before. Even though that she met them at the park, like, Sylvia and Jenny never told Diana exactly their address. I don't know if they didn't know it exactly or what. Yeah. But, um, so now Diana found out where they were living and in an attempt to initiate regular contact with the sisters, like, she went to the home. But Gertrude refused to let Diana in, saying that she got permission from her parents to not allow the girls to see their older sister. Uh. Right. Makes no sense. Exactly. I would be like, oh, no, fuck Get you. Get them on the phone right now. <laughs> and a few weeks later, Diana ran into Jenny nearby the home. And so Diana asked Jenny about Sylvia's welfare. And Jenny said... I can't tell you or I'll get into trouble. So poor Jenny is just being like, she's so fearful of the abuse yeah. that she's not even telling her sister. Right. But uh, just telling her that much that she'd get in trouble mm -hmm. for talking about her, that should be enough to let you know that something's going on. Exactly. So because of all the abuse, torture, and injuries, Sylvia eventually became incontinent and she wasn't even allowed to use the bathroom so she was being incontinent and not being able to use the bathroom she was forced to wet herself and sylvia was punished then for the incontinence that she had no control over and gertrude tied sylvia up in the basement and she often kept her down there naked and deprived of food and water and she was even sometimes tied to the basement stairs railing with her feet like barely touching the ground 
So. My gosh. In the weeks leading up to Sylvia being locked in the basement, the abuse that was inflicted upon Sylvia was increasing. And that, unfortunately, is where we are going to stop for the day. And. My gosh. We'll be back, I guess, in two weeks with the other half of the story because guys i'm telling you i'm literally halfway through my notes i have like a full other like episode in here yeah i think for the rest of the story and split this into a two-parter yeah and i know like at the end of my notes i didn't realize it was gonna be this long so i kind of like rushed through a little bit of the end So now I have time to go back and kind of like dive. Sorry, it's going to be a little longer again. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to do a little more deep dive. Um, So I guess this will be our first two-parter. I know I have another story in the works that'll be a two or three-parter. Just wanted more time to research that. So I'm sorry to be such a damn like (laughs) Be such a downer all the time with these stories. Um, But yeah, we'll be back in next week. Megan will have a story for you. Yeah. And then I'll be back with the other um, half of the Sylvia Likens murder. And so, yeah. Hope you guys are, as always, staying um, (laughs) safe and healthy. And Megan, I hope we stay safe and healthy as we are in the epicenter of of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, so if y'all are still hanging out at home a little more, stop by our Instagram, Mm -hmm. Two Weirdos, One Podcast. Uh, if you want to send us an email, we have that as well, twoweirdosonepod at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think about this cliffhanger. Yes. And I'm I'm not going to look anything up until yeah. next time, I promise. Yeah, we'll post. Because I, I want my like genuine reaction right. at the same. We'll post. I it. I'll post some things on our Instagram. Um I'm not going to post all of it. Yeah. Um just cuz, you know, we're kind of at a cliffhanger and there's more to this a lot more a lot more to the story. So yeah. um yeah, we'll we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah, so till next time. Bye. Bye. Hello everyone. This is post production Megan here sitting here editing and just wanted to let you guys know that we did decide to go ahead and post part two next week so you won't have to wait two weeks come back next week and you'll get to hear the conclusion to the story so join us next time it's going to be a good one talk to you guys then